we're continuing through the Renewal Church statement of faith. These are our core beliefs, our non-negotiable, biblical, theological beliefs, truths. And by God's design, he has created the world where physical realities mirror spiritual realities. So everything in the physical world takes its shape and is defined down to its atomic and molecular structure. And so the core of something defines what it is and the shape that it takes. And the same thing is true spiritually. That there are truths that define who we are and will shape what our lives will look like. And so this series is called The Core. Truths that define and shape us. And so we began last week and throughout the whole summer through the end of August, we're going to be in the middle of this theological study of looking at all of these truths that we as a church believe, that we embrace the foundation of this church, or if you will, the core of who we are as a faith family. Now, if you weren't here last week, Theology exists because God was pleased to reveal himself to us. So last week we looked at the Bible and what we believe about the Bible. And so we know that in God's word, he has revealed who he is and what he's like and who we are and what our purpose is. And so God has revealed himself so that we could know him. God did not give us theology so that we could have bigger heads and know bigger words and and have big egos. He gave us theology so that we could know him. And in the knowing God, that leads to joy in God. And so theological study is not about academia. It is not about pride or ego. It's not an academic end in and of itself. The end is not learning. The end is worshiping, enjoying, praising Jesus. That's the end. Learning about him is the means. The more that you know about God, the more that you will enjoy him. So it's all about knowing who God is so that we can experience joy and obedience in him. And so let me read to you the Renewal Church Statement of Faith. This is our second statement about the true God. It should be here on the screen. We believe that there is only one living and true God. He is the eternal, infinite creator and supreme ruler of heaven and earth. He is merciful, just, and loving, and governs all things according to his sovereign will for his glory. He is inexpressibly glorious in holiness and is worthy of all all possible honor, confidence, obedience, and love. So this is what we believe about the true God. This is the study of God. Now, all of theology is the study of God, what the word means, but specifically studying what God is like. And so we're talking about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. So what God is like. And in classic theology, this is called theology proper because you're studying who God is in and of himself. 
And so looking at the attributes of God. Let me read to you one psalm that kind of shows us what we're talking about here. Psalm 83, verse 18. That they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. And so we worship the true God. Not a true God, the one and only true God. He is the most high. There is nothing and no one above him. He is supreme above all. He is the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer. God stands alone. He has no rival. He is alone in majesty, in wisdom, in power, in glory. And as we sung, he is worthy. There is so much to be said about the nature of our God from the word. I think a good place to start is Exodus chapter 20. Read to you verses 3 and 4. This is where God had redeemed his people from slavery. And he had brought them to Mount Sinai. And then God gives his word to shape his people into his possession, his people. And he gives them the beginning of his word. It's just 10 commandments, which are 10 words. And so the first two of the 10, Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So God is being very clear as he begins to give his people his word to define who they are and to shape them into his people that are set apart for him, that are different from the nations. This right here is like ground zero. This is the starting point. He's laying the foundation for what? For worshiping him. For joy in his presence. This is worship God for who he is. That's the starting point here. This is the baseline. He was like, worship me for who I am. Worship God for who he has revealed himself to be. Don't make an image of God that comes from your own imagination. Don't worship God that comes from your mind or your thoughts or social media or Oprah. Don't worship the God that you see on Facebook. Don't worship God as the way he's presented by our increasingly pagan secular culture. Don't worship God of your own making or imagination. He says, Worship God for who he is. Know him and treasure the true God as he has revealed himself to be from his word. So this brings us to a stopping point here early on in this sermon. Yes, very early in the sermon. Do you worship the true God? Or... Do you worship a God that you think is a true God, but a lot of your thoughts about God are influenced by our culture and not by the word of God? 
Have we been influenced in subtle, maybe insidious ways that we think of God in a way that is actually not according to the Bible? Because here's the problem is when we worship God the way we want him to be, as opposed to who he says he is in the word, we're actually worshiping a false god. That is the definition of idolatry, worshiping an idol. And so if we're going to worship the one true God, then we have to know who he is and what he is like from the word. Lest we be guilty of worshiping an idol, and, and cheapening who God is, and then we settle for a counterfeit instead of for the real thing. And so today we're wading into an absolutely massive biblical study. And there's just no way, like, we're not even going to scratch the surface. So some of you that are like theologians that I've read a lot of theology, you're going to be disappointed today. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just sorry. You could... Find whole sets of books, like volumes, lots of books in a set on just this one topic. Just what is God like? So just so you know, like this is a huge area of study in the Word, and we're going to barely get wet your appetite for it. So I pray that you will want to go deeper and learn more and study the Word more. You can't rely on just Sunday morning. Like, it's just not going to feed your soul. As we begin, I want to give you two paradoxes. There's so many in the Word, but I'm going to give you a couple that we must hold on to these tensions as we begin understanding what God is like, as we begin our study on this one true God. The first paradox is that God is incomprehensible. So God is incomprehensible, and yet God is comprehensible. He's both. Paradox, it would seem to be contradictory. It would seem to be that both can't be true. And yet, upon further investigation, you realize, yes, indeed, both are true. God is incomprehensible, and yet he also is comprehensible. Now, when I say that he is incomprehensible, I don't mean that you can't understand God at all. I don't mean that he's unknowable. What I mean is that you cannot fully comprehend God. Remember something, we're human. We will always be human. Even when you're resurrected with a glorified body, with no sin, the new heavens and new earth in heaven, you will still be human. You're never going to have infinite knowledge because if you did, that would make you what? God. And we're not him. We're created. Therefore, we will always be learning. We will always be learning more about God for eternity, and we will never exhaust, we'll never get to the bottom, we're never going to fully understand God. We can't. So we have all of eternity to keep learning more and writing more books. And we will, because it's good. It's good to study and to know God better. Understanding that he is incomprehensible. We will never fully understand him. Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Maybe we'll have it on the screen in a minute. Psalm 145, 3. 
it says that his greatness is unsearchable. You can search and you will never fully understand it. He is so great and worthy of our praise. So even though in one sense he is incomprehensible, we're never going to fully know God, he is the God of mystery. And we accept that by faith. But he also is comprehensible. We can know him, not totally and fully, but we can know him. God is knowable. John 17, verse 3, also on the screen. And this is eternal life that you, that they know you. You hear that? Eternal life is knowing God. It says the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so what is salvation? Knowing God. Knowing Jesus. And so he is knowable. And so we maintain this tension of there are, there's a sense which is incomprehensible, but he also is comprehensible. We can and we do know him through his word. Second paradox, God is transcendent. So transcendence, but God is also imminent. I know they're big words. You can write them, I promise. Transcendent and imminent. God is transcendent. What does that mean? Well, it means that God is exalted, that God is above, that God is beyond that he's the cosmic creator, that he is sovereign, that he's in complete control of everything that he created. And so God is beyond us and above us and supreme and high and lifted up. And he lives in heaven. So he is far and remote and the creator, cosmic, ruling over everything that he made. So he does transcend us. A verse that shows that is Psalm 97, verse 9. For you, O Lord, are most high over all of the earth. You are exalted far above all God. So that word exalted and being high, that's what the word transcendent means. That he is high and above. And so calling the God that we worship God is good and appropriate. We're acknowledging that he is the most high and in complete control and sovereign. But he's not just transcendent, he's also imminent. Imminent means close or nearby. God is not just out there ruling the universe, he's also here near us and he's in us through his Holy Spirit. And so you have verses, for example, Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He has come near. He's not just out there. We don't know him only as Elohim or God. We also know him as Yahweh, as close, Jesus, who's near. We know him as God. We also know him as Father. It's both. It's a paradox. It's a tension that we maintain. And we must maintain this tension because if we don't, then we're going to be unhealthy. So, for example, if you overemphasize God's sovereignty or his transcendence, and he's only God to you, and he's never a father, he's never Jesus, he's never near, he's the only thing, only out there, remote and far away, 
then you're going to forget that he loves you. You're going to forget that he's near. And you'll become cold. And you'll think of God only as out there and remote. You become like a deist. It's not healthy. But on the other end, if you overemphasize his nearness and you forget that he is sovereign and that he is most high, then you could possibly forget that God has a cosmic plan and that he's not just your Jesus. He's not just yours. He belongs to a people and it's global and it's much bigger than you or me. It is about the nation. And so I believe it's very important for us to keep these tensions and see that the Bible reveals that God is more than just one attribute, that there is, it's manifold, it is multi-sided and multi-layered. God is infinite. And so when we're talking about the study of God beyond these two paradoxes, there's two main categories for studying what God is like. One is called communicable attributes, and the other one is called incommunicable. You're like, what are you talking about? It's not that hard, I promise. The root word is communicate. And so there are attributes that God communicates that are communicable, that God has shared with us, that he communicates with us. And so God's communicable attributes are those characteristics of God that he has shared with us that we can be like God. And then there's other attributes that are incommunicable, that do not communicate to us, that God has not shared with us, that we are not like God. And so there are ways in which who God is, that we are like him and can be more and more like him, and other ways that God stands alone and there is no one like him and we cannot and will never be anything remotely close to him. And so there are two sets of attributes or characteristics of what God is like. So let's begin with the incommunicable attributes. So ways that God is not like us. Characteristics of God that he has chosen not to share with you or me. That God is distinctly separate and different from human. There are several, but I'm going to give you three to stay within semblance of our time. The first one is infinite. God is infinite. Everything in creation has limits. God, the creator, has no limits. He is infinite. He's not finite. We're finite. God is infinite. No limitations whatsoever. So, for example, this week I just had a birthday. And... It's not that exciting because it reminds me that I'm getting older and, and my kids keep talking about my gray hair. And so it's like, okay, but here's, but here's what's so good about a birthday. It, it measures you. It like reminds you that you had a starting point. For me, it was June 10th of 1979. So that's where I started. Well, I guess even conception, so that would have been... But from birth, would you start there? So birth, because we, we affirm at this church that a fetus is absolutely a human. So we absolutely believe that at conception that is human life. But I digress. So 
June 10th, so that marks me. So at that point, I'm being measured. I'm 42 years old now, and you can measure my head. I'm, I'm five, nine and a half. If I have shoes, I'm 5'10". So, like, I can be measured. My weight can be measured. My intelligence could be measured. That wouldn't be hard to measure. That, that would be an easy one. There's so many ways that we're measurable, and we measure each other, and we all do it. You meet someone, and you think, I look better than her. <laughs> or I'm smarter than him. Or I'm better than so-and-so or whatever. Like we all measure each other up. I'm not saying this is a good thing that we ought to do in a faith family. I'm talking about human nature. We all measure each other up and see where we stack. And our very existence is measured in years, which is a fixed starting point and a fixed ending point. By definition, everything in our world is measured or measurable. And yet you have a God who has no limit, no beginning, no ending. He is immeasurable. You cannot take the full measure of God. He is limitless. Limitless in what? In everything. His power, his wisdom, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his grace, all of it is without measure, with no limit, no bottom. He is not like you or me. This is an incommunicable trait, not communicated to us, not shared with us. Along with this category being infinite, God is omnipresent. The word omni means all. So God is all present. He is present everywhere in his creation. Now, we're not pantheists. Like, we're not Hindus or Buddhists that say that the world is God. That's not true. That's wrong. God is not his creation. He is separate from his creation. But God is present in his creation at all times. He is omnipresent all present, all the time. God is omniscient. So that refers to knowing or thinking. So being omniscient means that God is all-knowing. All wisdom, all knowledge, knows your thoughts at every moment when you're awake or when you're asleep. He knows everything. He has all the body of knowledge of every single possible discipline. God knows all of it. He is all-knowing. Nothing escapes what he knows. He is omnipotent. Omnipotent means all-powerful. No limits to his knowing or being or power. He is the God of limitlessness. This is a God that we worship. He is unlike anyone that we know, unlike anything that we experience. He is not like us. He is set apart and separate and high and majestic and infinite. And King Solomon understood this when he built the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. God is immeasurable. 
how does God being infinite or limitless, how does that affect the way we should live? Well, I'll say this. If you lose sight of the majesty of God, if you take your eyes off of his infinite majesty, what's going to happen is you're going to be looking elsewhere. And so you're going to then be looking at something or someone else to fill this need. We were made by God for God to be in awe of his limitlessness. And so we will look to another person. And you will look to, I don't know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, child, or famous preacher, because there's plenty of celebrity preachers out there that we can look to. And we'll look to another human being, and we will hope, we will want them to be limitless in how they love us. Limitless in how they meet our needs. Limitless in how they are there for us and will never let us down. But if you've been alive for more than, I don't know, five years, you already know. Humans are limited. Anyone you look to, to satisfy you, will let you down. You will reach the end of their limit. They won't text you back or they won't call you back or they'll forget your birthday, heaven forbid, or your anniversary. They'll let you down because we're human. We're limited. Or you'll look to a career or a hobby And it too is limited because everything is limited other than God himself who is limitless. And so everything and everyone around you because of limitations will let you down. And you know what this creates in us? In my experience, exhaustion. We get exhausted. We become enslaved. We're blind. We lose our joy. We lose our freedom. And you wake up one day and you're like, what happened? How in the world did I get here? This isn't me. Trying to be limitless and wanting others to be what only God can be for you. We are not called to reflect God's limitlessness. His infiniteness. We're not called to reflect that. We're called to be in awe of him. That he alone is infinite. He is, number two, immutable. You're like, whoa, what's that? It's not that hard. These words all make sense. You know, the word mutate means to change. And so immutable means can't be, so mutable means changeable. And so immutable means un. Changing, unchangeable, can't mutate, cannot be changed. And so immutable means that God is unchanging and unchangeable. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We worship the God who is not just unchanging, but unchangeable. 
You see, everything else that is created does change. It does mutate. It can change. We're not immutable. We are mutable, not immutable. Only God is immutable. Only God is constant and unchanging. His nature is immutable. God cannot change. There is no shifting. God can't improve. God can't grow. I can understand, like, what is change? What is growing? You would hope that when you grow, you're changing. You're evolving. You're becoming a better person, a more faithful follower of Jesus. God can't change. God can't improve or in any way become better. He's infinitely glorious. He's unchanging. He's already there. He is this standard. And so God can't change. He can't. He's consistent. Now, why does this matter for you or for me? Oh, brother, sister, this is an anchor for your soul. Man, there are just some seasons when you can just look in the mirror and say, man, I've just blown it. And the guilt and shame sometimes it's too hard to even bear and then the people that you hurt along the way and and the enemy comes and he says God can't love you God could never use you anymore you're done you're has been just give up just quit. You're washed up and you're done. And sometimes the enemy's lies can be just so convincing and sound so true. Yet you go back to a God who is immutable, who is unchanging, and you can tell the enemy and say, you know what? I don't deny that I've blown it. But the word of God says that he loves me. And because God is unchanging, the foolishness, the failure, whatever it is, does not change the way God feels about me because God can't change. His promises are unchanging. And so we can, with confidence, come up from those ashes and say, God, this is so much bigger than me. And somehow you allow me to go through this pain. And you've allowed it through your sovereign purposes. And I can repent. I can confess that. And, and I can't change because that's what I need to do. And trust that God still loves me and still has purpose for me. No matter how much we struggle. We rest and a God who does not change. We live in a world that is crazy and ever-changing, and yet we have the confidence that our God does not. But this is also really bad news for you if you are rebellious and you refuse to repent and trust in Jesus. If you don't want Jesus, 
If Jesus is boring to you or insignificant to you or not at all glorious or if you just could care less than two cents about Jesus but you're here because you have to be for whatever reason, your parents, your spouse, social obligation, but in your heart of hearts, you don't love Jesus and you do not trust in him. When you die and you stand face to face with God, I can tell you this, God won't change his mind. He will tell from you, depart from me. I never knew you. And he won't change his mind. Because he's unchanging. So this goes both ways. If you trust in him and hope in him, then his love for you is unchanging. But if you reject him, then the truth of your guilt is equally unchanging. We trust a God who is immutable. This changes everything in our lives because God is unchanging. It's an anchor. We can rest in him because he's reliable and trustworthy because he can't change. He's infinite. He's immutable. Number three, he is independent. God being independent means that the created world that is dependent on him God is independent of his creation. So God is not deficient. God is not lacking. God is self-existent and God is self-sufficient. So in classic theology, this is called the aseity of God. Aseity, and that's from the Greek, from the Latin words, ase, which means from himself. And so from himself, he is self-sufficient and self existence. What this means practically is that God is never improved by his creation. Hear me. God does not need you. We are not a gift to God. Like, seriously? We're a gift from God. We are the gifts that he's, he's given us. That he doesn't need us at all. He's not dependent on us for anything. He is completely independent and self-sufficient. Now, what that means is created beings are dependent on him and are not self-sufficient. None of us are self-sufficient. We need each other, and we need our God. We depend on him. And so we're talking about God being infinite, immutable, independent, these are some of the incommunicable attributes, ways that God is not like us, that he has not shared with us. He's not measurable. But see, here's the problem. Left to ourselves, I'll speak for myself here, I want to be limitless. Like, I want to be omnipresent, where every single time that someone wants to call or talk, I'm, here I am, I can be omnipresent. I got my phone. I can reply to anyone, anywhere, always be reached, always be available, be there for everyone at all times. And let me tell you, like, that has been overwhelming for me in the last few months. Like, I'm, I'm having to repent as we speak in this season of wanting to be omnipresent and omniscient, having all the answers, always knowing when I'm not. 
wanting to be limitless and fill in everyone's gaps and be super shepherd, super pastor, who's there for everyone. And everyone's, yay, look at her pastor. And it's like, oh, y'all don't even know. It's exhausting. So when we look at who God is, how do we respond? Rest. We're designed to rest in the ways that we're not like God. There is so much joy in rest and letting God be God. We don't have to try and be God. So we worship the limitless one. So the one who is limitless and what that does is it shows us our limits. It shows us how we're not God. And God designed us to be limited. By his good design, he puts limits on us so that we will know our place of dependence on him, so that we will drive to worship the only one who has no limits. And so it is an act of mercy and love that we have our limits. It reminds us that we are not God. And we're driven to worship the one who is limitless. So there's a lot more to be said, a whole lot more to be said. But that's the brief overview on some of God's incommunicable attributes, ways that we're not like God. Let's talk briefly about the communicable attributes, ways that we are like God. We're designed to be image bearers who reflect God. So I'll give you a brief list. God is faithful forgiving, good, gracious, holy, just, merciful, patient, truthful, wise. This is who God is. This is nature. And as image bearers, we can reflect his image. So we can't reflect him in some ways. We talked through that. But there are ways that we can be like God and we can share in his character, and we can reflect him. We can reflect wisdom and truth, and mercy and holiness and goodness and grace. Do you want to see the most complete display of what God is like? Like one place that you see there is the full range of the character of God. Look to the cross. On the cross, you see infinite wisdom. You see infinite love and mercy. But you also see infinite holiness and justice. God cannot ignore sin. There has to be a payment to uphold his justice and his holiness and his wrath. And yet, you see love and mercy and grace on display because Jesus paid it all. So you see the collision, the intersection of everything that God is. All of his attributes are on display through the cross. And it's glorious. We believe that there is only one living and true God. He is the eternal, infinite creator, the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. He is merciful, just, and loving and governs all things according to his sovereign will for his glory. He is inexpressibly glorious in holiness and is worthy of all possible honor, confidence, obedience, and love. 
And what happens to us when we know God deeply and know who he is from his word? It's right here in our statement of faith that says that he is worthy of a possible honor, confidence, obedience, and love. So if you want to walk in confidence, where you're honoring God and walking, loving each other and God and with obedience, it comes from knowing him. If you chase happiness, you will never get it. Hear me. If you are chasing happiness, you will not find it. If you chase Jesus, you'll find happiness. Because he's the source. And in Christ, he makes us holy. And walking in holiness is what leads to happiness. Fulfilling our purpose of reflecting who God is. 2 Corinthians 3, as you wrap up, verses 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it says that we are being transformed to reflect the image of God, to reflect what he is like, not being infinite and immutable. No, not like that, but like truthful and patient and wise and holy and gracious and forgiving. We can reflect God and we're called to. And it says, how? How are we conformed to his image to reflect him? How does that happen? It says, beholding the glory of the Lord. Beholding Jesus, the Spirit then changes our hearts. We know Jesus. We treasure him. We rest in him. We enjoy him. We know him from his word. Here's the way this works. You will become what you behold. Whatever you're beholding, that's the image that you're going to reflect. Whether it's something sinful, behold that, you will reflect that. You behold Jesus, you will begin to reflect him. I pray that we'll be a people who are so beholding our God from his word, walking in the spirit, encouraging each other, that the result is that we're being transformed into the image of Christ, that we will then reflect who he is to a desperate world that is craving something real, and we have it. May we rest in who God is in ways that we're not like him. And may we reflect him in ways that he has designed us to. Let's behold our God that we can become like him.